0: This is a download from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. Hello, I'm Anif Baharudin, and you're tuned into the show that explores the narratives of historical landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. In this episode, our conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa will share stories about two heritage buildings that made the news recently: the former chartered Bank building and the former Industrial Court building. Two historical buildings in the city made the news recently when The Star reported that the former Chartered Bank building at Jalan Raja and the former Industrial Court building at Jalan Mahkamah will be renovated after being in a state of neglect for the past few years. The Selangor Government via their Strategic Investment Arm, Menteri Besar Incorporated, will be managing the renovation works for these two buildings and turning them into tourist attractions. But what do we know about these buildings? Elizabeth will share their histories beginning with the former Chartered Bank building.
1: Now the former Central Chartered Building is, since you're going to talk about them individually, is at uh, the corner of, on the opposite side in a sense. Okay, of of it's on the corner of the padang, right? At one corner of the padang, and um, that corner is uh, what would have been um, now uh, is is opposite the entrance to the. Plaza, Dataran Merdeka. I think there's a plaza there, which is sort of a semi-underground car park with some uh, retail. I don't know whether it's still existing. By the way, I mean I know that was what it was built for uh, to accommodate uh, the need uh, in the late 1980s, early and early 1990s to accommodate the need for finding more car parking space in KL. But rather than build a structure. A multi story structure, they built an underground kappa Okay. And they retained not the whole field, not the whole padang, because if you look at the size of the original padang and the current size, it has been diminished in size. But it is still at um, what do you call it? Street level. Lah. It's still, you know, reasonably at street level, except for the edges where you have the. Uh, it used to be the, the tallest flagpole or the third tallest. You know, we're really full of um, Guinness Book of Records kinds of things. Uh, there is this 100-metre-tall flagpole. And at the time it was built, it was supposed to have been the tallest in the world. Okay, um, And next to it is this monumental, uh, what is called a fountain. You will see it as a fountain because it, it's in the form of, a, well, it's in the form of much a fountain la, with water coming out, oh, water feature. okay, um, And uh, it's very decorative and it's very ornamental. And actually what it really was uh, is um, a, um, a horse trough. You know what a horse trough is? It's like for horses to go and drink water. Okay. Uh, and why horses because of course at the time it was constructed we didn't have motor vehicles you know we had bullock carts and we had we had um horses horse drawn um, and people would ride horses and you know use horse for for traveling um so so the horse power was really horse luck. As opposed to kudur, right? As opposed to crater that has horsepower. Okay. So it was then this this was installed in that, in the corner of, of, of the padang. And the former standard chartered building uh, was built on this southeast corner of the, the padang, of the square, of the parade ground. And it was the first bank to open a branch in Kuala Lumpur. And if you are going to be talking about names again, it was called at that time, the Chartered Bank of India, Australia, and China. So, you know, um, it had opened earlier. And then in 1891, it moved here. Um, And part of the reason why it moved here, remember it was a bank, right? Uh, Was because of its proximity to Bukit Aman, which is where the police are, right? Uh, Bukit Aman, it, it's called Bukit Aman now. It used to be called Bluff Hill, B L U F F, as a, not Bohong Bluff, but not to tell a lie or bluff, I'm bluffing you, but bluff because of the side of the hill on which it is on. It's called a bluff. And uh, so the police were housed on Bluff Hill. And Bluff Hill, as its name suggests, is a hill which means it's a higher rise. So if I put my police guard on top of the hill and he's looking down at you, he is in a position of dominance and he can see a lot further than if you are at the foot of the hill, correct? So if you look at old castles, you look at kubu, you look at... They're always built at a higher place because it commands a better view and if anybody is trying to sneak up on you, and um, you know, in the case of warfare and things like that, you know, try and uh, capture you, you can see them from coming from further afield, right? If you are, at, so the bank was there, uh, and partly because of its proximity, it's believed it was put there because it's proximity to the police headquarters. So it was a sense of. Um, being uh, protected as opposed to being threatened yeah, uh, by, by the police. And the present uh, building is a three-storey building, and it was constructed more than 100 years ago in 1808-1809. And it replaced uh, an earlier structure, which was two-storeys. And uh, this... Uh, so, so while it was not part of the that ensemble of the British administration building, the, the facade of this building um, can be seen as kind of like comparable uh, to the, you know, nowadays, you know, it's referred to as the British Raj style or the Mogul style, depends on who you're talking to, uh, again, where you intersect with it. Um, or the Mongol style, or the, you know, what that that there, there, there is a Mohammedan style. There are many different ways of different over historians and and commentators over the years have called it many different uh, stuff I think now it's sort of mogul style is kind of uh uh quite. You know quite acceptable is the more common shall we say British Raj style you know the Raja the Raj right that's also sort of um acceptable uh co- commonly more commonly used and um it its relationship it was it was compatible you know we were talking about sympathetic with it compatible with the neighboring um buildings you know which had uh arches on the ground floor and verandas, wide verandas uh, with windows, you know, quite monumental. And in terms of scale, two to three storey. So it all was, they were big, they were tall, but remember the clock tower was the tallest part. So they didn't overtake or dominate. And this building, the former standard Chartered building, you know, had had um, like port, porches that you could enter, like where the carriages could enter, right? To enter the banking hall. And they also had domes put on when, when the building was reconstructed from the two storey to the three storey. So, so this is kind of just, just to give you a maybe a little bit of a um, sort of a sense of it, right? The best story, actually, I think, is, and, and there is a photograph showing this, uh, that, that's reported in, in Gallic's, I think, um, History of Kuala Lumpur, is um, that uh, in 1926, you know, we've just had big floods, right? But there was a huge flood in 1926. And uh, in the case of this building, uh, the bank's vaults were flooded. So where all the money was kept. Okay. And the water rose to about one meter above the floor. That's the report. So it was like waist height. And if you see photos, you will see people wandering around waist height, you know, from the 1926 floods. So when the flood water subsided, um, millions of dollars at that time, stretch dollars of banknotes were you know, which had been soggy and probably full of mud and, you know, really quite grotty, right, were laid out on the padang to dry. So can you just imagine, I mean, just imagine that scene. I just think it's quite hysterical to think about it nowadays, right? You know, to take out these banknotes and then lay them out on the padang and then have your policeman, uh, you know, who came down from Bluff Hill to keep a watch that nobody would go and... uh, steal the duetla that was on there um so i i just think you know it, it it's it's quite it's it's such a nice story actually i mean in a sense of of in terms of you know little anecdotes about about itself um as a past i mean we can talk about its structure and we can talk about uh the fact that um you know having addressing the padang and 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 uh you know that how it was used but the road on which it stands, uh, and, and if you're facing it, the road to the left of it, which is Jalan Sultan Hishamuddin, going to Jalan Raja, um, going to what the Padang, the road itself was expanded. And in that expansion, what happened was, um, if you look at the building, you look at all photos of the building, you will see that there were three um, entrances, three porches, there was a central porch, which you still see. There was a porch to the right, which you still see if you're facing the building. And there used to be a porch to the left, which you no longer see. And the reason why the porch to the left is not there is because they needed to expand the road. And so they just locked off that porch in order to expand the road. And so now when you're looking at the building, it looks a bit lopsided, whereas the original design was a very symmetrical, you know, uh, building and it was really really quite pleasant I mean in, in, in that sense. Um, so yeah that, that's kind of a little bit on the architecture since you were kind of interested in the architecture of, of, of the building
0: That was our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa talking about the former Chartered Bank building. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned I'm Hanif Baharuddin Rudin and you're listening to I love KL on PFM 89.9 BFM at 9.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharuddin. Our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, joins us to share the stories of the former Chartered Bank building as well as the former Industrial Court building after the Slango government said that these buildings will be restored again this year after falling into a state of disrepair for the past couple of years. Elizabeth has spoken about the former Chartered Bank building in the first part of the show, so let's turn our attention to the former Industrial Court building.
1: We can't look at that building on its own because that building was kind of... um. Okay, going back to the story of the Chow Kit Supermarket, all right? Chow Kit and Lok Yu were, you know, magnets at that time. Lok Yu was a big landlord. Chow Kit was, you know, an entrepreneur, a big businessman. And he had this business, which was this supermarket, which could be used to house um, and to, what's the word for it, to, to retail you know, in terms of the establishment, um, retail goods, which were European goods as well, not local. It wasn't your local, what do you call it? Kadirunchit. Okay. It was your upper dear big supermarket or whatever, you know, your 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 supermarket of today, your upper class, whatever, as supplying goods for an audience uh, who wanted um Things which uh, maybe they couldn't get in the Kadairunchit or in the local pasa. Okay. Imported goods, for example. Now, but having said that, um, so, so Chowkit was this business person. And the original um, Chowkit supermarket was located nearby on what is now the, here we go again, the former GPO building. It used to be in a shop house or in three shop houses, um, and on that site, okay. So next to the Sultan Abdul Samad building. Now, if you want to go back to the history of all of these, were shop lots, okay. And uh, you know, at various points, they were acquired by government. That's quite standard even nowadays, right? And government needs to do something; they acquire it. So they acquired this land the shop house, and the, in exchange uh, for the lot, which is where it currently stands. And um, it currently stands next to the Lok New building. Now, the Lok New building is on the corner of Jalan, what is now called Jalan uh, Lebopasa Besar, Pasar Besar, and what would have been Holland Road which then became Jalan Melanda, but it was Mr Holland, it wasn't Mr Netherlands. Uh, you know, um, Mr Holland. The road was named after Mr Holland. Anyway, Holland Road, uh, which then became Jalan Makama Perserkituan. When the Makama Perserkituan moved into the neighbourhood, okay, and on that in on that junction, on that corner lot, uh, is the which is behind, in a sense, uh, what is now the former GPO building. Uh, you have the Lok Yuh building and the Chowkit building, Chowkit supermarket building next to each other. Okay? And they were, whether you want to say they were an ensemble, they had very similar uh, sensibilities, very similar origins, owners, you know, um, you know, ways of wanting to demonstrate themselves. And the third building in that area, which is still now still there, I mean, in the sense of what it's still called, is now called the Bar Council Building. It's for the Wisma for the Bar Council, but it used to be called Wisma Street Trading, which was a stretch Trading building, which housed the streets Trading Company, which related to tin and tin smelting. So all of these uh, three lots, you know, uh, in relation to the government buildings, these were private, okay? And they were developed, uh, you know, as commercial uh, business enterprises. So so going back to the former (laughs) industrial court building, which was on the site of the former... (laughs) Look, Chowkit building, a Chowkit supermarket building. Um, again, uh, you know, quite different uh, in terms of the facade. Yeah, people have referred to it as neo Renaissance, neo Renaissance style. Okay. Um, it's believed to have been designed uh, by A.K. Musdin. Now, Musdin is known to have designed the block of shop houses, which is on. Uh, market Square, uh, which is on the other side of the river. And uh, it has got quite an elaborate sort of, um, you know, Flemish European style pediment, uh, Dutch gable kind of like arch windows and things like that. Um, and the windows of the Chowkit and Co building, Chowkit's market building, and the windows of this. A building on Market Square are actually, if you look at them, they have a very clear, close relationship um, stylistically, but they're quite different. I mean, they, they're built, obviously one is a shop house, or you know, uh, built for different purposes. But Chocolate Supermarket was exactly that; it was built, purpose built as a supermarket. You know, it it had open floor plans. It had uh, so that you had the department, it was a department store, you know, you have Aeon, you know, I mean, you know, Isetan, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Yeah. Department store, Parkson's, that, that sort of thing. Um, Yeah. And this was the precursor to all of that. So, so, and it had a food hall and a um, clothing and imported goods and It supplied uh, the local relatively, uh, well, you must have been a little more affluent. You weren't weren't the labourer, okay? You would have been the middle class of your time um, audience. You know, that would have been your audience. People who worked in the government offices as an officer who went to... uh, Um, If you were Muslim, went to worship at Masjid Jami, or if you were Indian Muslim, you know, Tamil speaking, uh, you might have gone to, uh, you know, the the Masjid India, the Chulia Mosque, or if you were uh, a Christian, you might have gone to Anglican, you might have gone to Samaria's church, or if you were, you know, Chinese Confucian um, Taoist, you would have gone to... You know, the, the Zia temple down the road, you know, whatever it is, but you would still be of the middle class, having a certain sense and sensibility of wanting to have important goods. You know, this is what you look for. You know, you're not only looking for your, your local Rumpa, but you are looking for. Something that you could not buy at your local supermarket or your local grocery store or your local uh, pasar.
0: What I find quite interesting about these two buildings, I think, based on our conversation today, is that I think the fact that we can't even situate or you can't even put, you know, identify the identities of these two buildings because they constantly evolve, right, throughout the years. They are technically, you know, still being utilised, right? These two buildings have always been utilised throughout history. And yet, you know, based on the news item that we read recently, you know, at least for the past two years, for the past few years rather, they have somehow, yeah, fall under, you know, state of like neglect, Seriously. right? State of neglect, yeah. So,
1: so I, I think, well, I, I think that, yeah, I, I think that that's almost one of the predilections, one of the biggest difficulties that that old heritage... Buildings which are monumental, more monumental buildings kind of um, go through. You know, one of, one of the biggest challenges, I think, is number one, you know, they have, who owns them? Are they owned by public sector? And in this case, uh, while the Chowkit Chow Kit supermarket would originally have been owned by private enterprise, right? When it got taken over, you know, it became a federally owned building because it was housed industrial court. So the government of Malaysia owns it, right? But remember that all these buildings before, remember that KL used to be Selangor, right? So Selangor had a claim on the buildings, uh, all these buildings. But when KL became FT, when it became Wilayah Per Seketuan, the only two eventually, I think what was settled was, uh, the only two buildings which remained um, under the ownership of the Selangor state government are these two that we're talking about: the former Standard Charged building and the former Chow Kit supermarket. Because they had, in you know, in the meantime, uh, been converted into different uses um, by the government of Malaysia for for public, you know, as as, as public buildings. Um, and and so in this transition, you know, with, um, I think that there there's always an, an issue related, not just to ownership, but also what do you do with them? You know, is there parking in the area? You know, what are the challenges to, we've just earlier, a couple of months ago or so, we talked about the flood, right? You know, and, and the damage that, you know, every so often because of rains. And because of silting of the river, and because of development, and because of all sorts of things, the capital, this part of the capital city uh, of Kuala Lumpur, rather, uh, floods over. And uh, because the rain waters uh, and the river systems can't drain and bring the water down fast enough or uh, away fast enough, so the water will rise and it will flood the lower lying areas around it. And these buildings happen to be next to the river. So when the river goes into flood, they will uh, get flooded, lah, right? Um, and, and then we had, so that's one issue. So how do you, what do you need to do to not let them flood? Well, you can't. I think naturally the river goes into major flood every period, you know, there their are cycles. And with climate change, you know, maybe the cycles will become, the, the time distances between these cycles may, may become shorter and shorter. La. But that's a different treat altogether, correct? But so that that is this issue of flood. Now, flood in itself is not a problem. It is how do you manage the risk for once it floods, what measures do you have in place to fix, It, you know, to repair it, to clean it, to look after it, right? And in the past two years, I think there has been this whole issue, of course, of with the COVID um, epidemic and major disruption because of that, um, you know, the buildings have kind of been left. Uh, and and it's these are not the only two buildings. I mean, recent last year there was uh, you know, there was a big story about the day one bandaraya catching fire, and it turned out that, you know, a security guard um desk had caught fire, and there was some damage to the building because the building has been vacant for a long, long time. And the buildings which are not vacant in the vicinity of this group of buildings, yeah, are the um, the ones which still have active use, which have been sort of not exactly, conti- necessarily continuous uh, use, same use, but you know, continue to be used. So the Salango Club, the Royal Salango Club, uh, continues to function as a, a sports recreational facility. And so people come and go. And so it is maintained. St. Mary's, the church uh, nearby, it's it's used, it's, you know, functions. The, uh, what is now called um, uh, the I Love KL building, the, I know people refer to it that way. I can't quite figure out what its name is, but it used to be called, it was the old printing press building. You talk about you know getting confused about names, right? Uh, that has continued to be used because it has got an exhibition in it. You know they've added cafe, they have a retail space. You know it, it continues to function. And next door to it is the relatively newer, but the Kea Library, uh Kuala Lumpur, which has been refurbished and and is used. Um, went through some major renovations because it had caught fire at some point and all of that. And then uh, behind the Selangal Club um, is a 1930s, originally 1930s building that used to be the KL Book Club that is now the children's library for for Kuala Lumpur. And so you have, you know, some of these buildings which have continued to be in use and remain in relatively good nick, right? And then there are those immediately uh, in the vicinity. Not just these two, which are not in use and continue to deteriorate. I think it's when a building is not used, it tends to kind of get very sad because nobody loves it, you know. I mean, when I say love it, I mean you, you know, you look after your house, you you clean it, you care for it, you you know, you if nothing else, you fix, you know, things. But when it isn't in use, then you kind of say, it's okay, okay, right, fine, and it languishes. And I think that is really a very, very sad thing about um, the heritage buildings. A lot of the publicly owned and as well as some privately owned heritage buildings in uh, not just this city, but you know, in, in a lot of cities um, in, in, in Malaysia, because it's a question of who owns it, Who has, who's empowered to look after it? Where are you going to find the money for it? And what are you going to use it for? And if it is used for, if if it's going to cost you an extraordinary amount of money to repair it or to fix it or to adapt it, and uh, where's the money going to come from? You know, how is it going to be sustainable for the future? Everybody wants To air condition their buildings. Um, You know, these are quite large monumental buildings that have large spaces with high ceilings. Um, If you're going to have to air condition that, you know, your um, electricity bill, your power bill, your energy bill will be very high. So, what do you do? You know, how can new technology and how can we? people working in conservation, people in government, people in uh, working, you know, looking at at the environmental sector, you know, work to find ways to make these places useful and sustainable. I think that that to me, these are kind of like more important uh, questions to be asked. But I should also add finally that, um, maybe not finally, but these buildings have been recognized under the Dulu, under the Antiquities Act, which was repealed and then became the National Heritage Act 2005, Act 645, as monuments, as heritage buildings on a heritage register. And the two that we're talking about, plus several of the others I mentioned earlier today, they're all part of this group of buildings that are recognized by the government of Malaysia, the Jabatan Warisan Negara, the Commissioner of Heritage, who who is the, you know, is is then officially, you know, um, has the stewardship, you know, the statutory stewardship of these uh, properties. Um, Upon what basis, once you have had that designation, should there not be a way to make sure that they are looked after do we ignore and neglect um our grandparents or do we honor them even if they are no longer immediately uh you know they 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 no longer let's say you know they're too frail to work let's say or 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 you know do we just put them in you know in neglect them put them in the back of our house and ignore them or do we recognize the fact that they have uh, had a purpose, served a purpose and were instrumental in doing things um and in elevating I think our sense of of place and our and recognizing you know this the this, 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 this stature and sometimes things fall out of use but you know do we neglect them? the way I think sometimes we kind of tend to ignore because they are not modern or not, um, you know, immediately seen as, as useful. Um, I, I think that these are really questions that we have to ask ourselves now.
0: You've been tuning in to I Love KL and this week, our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa joined us to share stories about the former Chartered Bank building and the former Industrial Court building after they made the news recently. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl. Our app, which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharuddin, and you've been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Stay safe and join us again next week only on BFM 89.9 The Business Station Thank you for listening to this podcast To find more great interviews go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes BFM 89.9 The Business
1: Station